live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. What a great good afternoon to you and yours. It's hump day, Wednesday, May 17th, the year 2023. Rain, she is a coming, if not already here. But uh, here, Studio 1A, um, not yet, but shortly. My main man, James Mesh, in the producer's chair inside the Evco Development Studios. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's where you can find KLWB, which is um, right there in Delta Media, right? 1037 Lafayette. We're also on KLCJ, 1041 in Lake Charles, streaming everywhere, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you happen to be in the Acadiana area, well, you can catch us on television because we're simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. All right, LSU baseball got back on the winning track, although they struggled a little bit. They walked uh, a bunch of players, had a bunch of errors, but they still defeated McNeese 7-4 to in the Tigers' final home game of the regular season. LSU's now 40-12, and 12, making this the first time since the 2016-2017 seasons that LSU has finished with back-to-back 40-win seasons. Last season, LSU finished 40-22. and 22. Um, It was not a get-right game by any stretch of the imagination. Through five-and-a-half innings, LSU trailed by a run – was out hit seven to two and committed four errors. Two hits in five and a half innings, four errors. That's not going to win you baseball games. So again, LSU trying to figure out things. They used five pictures in the game. Um, and some, some not so bad some not so good. Some just whatever Blake money. Started the ball game, Griffin Herring, um, Dutton, Gidry, Thatcher Hurd. They all combined to give up 12 hits, four walks, striking out nine. Offensively, LSU end of the night with seven hits. Were led at the plate by um, the tank, White, who finished two for three with a double and two RBIs. LSU has a quick turnaround. They travel to face Georgia tomorrow for their final SEC series of the weekend. And pitching staff has been announced. This is what LSU's going with. Of course, it'll be it'll be Paul Skeens in game one. It'll be Ty Floyd game two. And sophomore left-hander Javen Coleman will get uh, the third game on Saturday. So we shall see what happens. We mounted it yesterday um, briefly, but... Former Notre Dame running back Logan Diggs announced he's coming home to be an LSU Tiger. D- 
Diggs' transfer to LSU is a homecoming of sorts. He's a native of Butte, Louisiana. He prepped at Archbishop Rummel in Metairie before signing with the Irish and Brian Kelly in 2021. He's going to make an immediate splash uh, in an LSU running back room that's got a lot of question marks, right? Um, LSU, in theory, returns a good bit of talent, but there's uncertainty there. Armani Goodwin, Josh Williams coming off knee injuries, John Emery's academic status. So you got a proven commodity at six foot, about 215 pounds, played the last two seasons for Notre Dame, was their leading rusher this past year, averaging five yards a pop, getting 821 yards on the ground with four touchdowns. He had 10 receptions for 211 yards and a pair of receiving touchdowns, including a team-long 75-yard touchdown reception in the Gator Bowl against South Carolina. He'll be an impact player, and he could be LSU's featured back this season and next because Diggs comes with two years of eligibility. So stay tuned. Let's wait and see what happens. So, um, yes, yes. LSU incoming freshman center, Alaya Del Rosario, was named late Monday night to the USA women's under-19 national team. She will compete in the FIBA Under-19 Women's World Cup on July 15th through the 23rd in Madrid. Nice, nice. The more, the more you get things, uh, the more opportunities you get to play, the better and better and better you are. Well, they came in with very little odds, and the odds, they disappeared immediately. The New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans will have the 14th pick in next month's NBA draft. All the euphoria is in San Antonio as they receive the number one pick, and they will get Victor Wembayana, the seven foot five French phenom, um, who will be an instant impact player. And for a team that in one year drafted David Robinson from the Naval Academy, and the next season got Tim Duncan from Wake Forest. Um, San Antonio Spurs are coming, and they're coming in a hurry. What a basketball game it was last night. Game one of the Western Conference Finals. Denver led by 12 after one, led by 18 at the half. And then the Lakers came charging back, outscoring Denver 38-34 in the third, 34-26 in the fourth. Denver held on. For a 132-126 slugfest, man, Anthony Davis was good with 40 and 10. LeBron had 26 points, 12 rebounds, and 9 assists. Rui Hachimura off the bench with 17. Austin Reeves knocking down three balls, had 23. But the star of stars, Nikola Jokic. His stat line in 42 minutes, 34 points, 21 rebounds, and 14 assists. 34, 21, and 14. Jamal Murray with 31 
All five starters in double figures. Contavious Caldwell Pope with 21. Michael Porter Jr. with 15. Aaron Gordon with 12. And off the bench, Bruce Brown Jr. with 16. This is a very good Denver team. But the Lakers figured out you don't put Anthony Davis on Jokic. You don't. You put him on somebody else. You let him roam underneath and let him block shots. And that's what got the Lakers back into it. What a game, man. It was some unbelievable shot making, just high, high, high level basketball, high level tonight. We'll see if the Eastern conference can match it as game one between the Miami heat and the Boston Celtics from the TD garden this evening. Whew. What a game. What a game it was. My goodness gracious. Um, if you're a fan of McNeese, you know now that your athletic director has been signed, sealed, and delivered for another five years. Heath Schroyer, who has done a uh, remarkable job, was the basketball coach, took over as the interim athletic director and then COVID hit and then the hurricanes hit. Um, and he has done a remarkable, remarkable job getting um, fundraising up, signing contracts for football and basketball coaches to over a million dollars. He has really resurrected uh, this entire athletic department and deserves deserves to know uh to get get an extension that that brilliant on the part of mcneese and their board of course it's subject to approval it's going to get rubber stamped um but uh just deserves it and we're going to get him on uh in the next couple of days to to talk about it and what his vision is for the future um you know he parlayed the possibility of leaving the Southland conference um, to go elsewhere and basically held the conference as a prisoner. And the conference gave them everything, every championship tournament, everything. Um, so um, deserves everything. He's gotten a five-year contract extension. Good for him. Good for McNeese and uh, the beat goes on. The beat goes on. So a five-year extension for Heath Schroyer. Today on the program, where we are, we are chock-a-block, all right? Well, we're going to talk a little LSU baseball uh, with Cokie Riley coming up here in a minute. It's the day before the second major in the world of golf. Alex Myers from Golf Digest will join us as we preview the PGA Championship, where it was 30 Eight degrees this morning um, as the practice rounds continued. They'll get it up for real tomorrow. Christian Clark will join us in the three o'clock hour. We'll talk those NBA playoffs. We'll talk about prospects at number 14 when the Pelicans go to the podium to announce who they would like to select in this upcoming draft. And then it wouldn't be Wednesday without Hump Day with Hugan as we talk about a whole bunch of stuff with him that's what's in the docket we're so glad you are with us it's wednesday and yeah, as soon as i speak the rains they have come so be careful as you're out and about 
And um, we look forward to having you for the next hour and 45 minutes. Let's take our first time out. We're talking Tigers next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, riding coasters, live music, fried fair food. Oh, it's back. The Cajun Heartland State Fair. And the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is giving away family packs of ride tickets. Just text CHSF to 337-283-8100 to our chance to win a family pack of tickets. Can you guess how many tickets that is? About 80. 80 to the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 25th to June 4th. Brought to you by The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. We're back. 17 minutes after the hour. 18 minutes after the hour rather than that. Why does my cell phone have 18 and my computer have 17? Can't we all just get in sync? Come on, guys. Anyway... Um, Hokie Riley, kind enough to join us. He covers uh, all things LSU um, for the USA Today Sports, the Daily Advertiser. Hello, Mister Riley. It's been it's been a, a cup of coffee or two, man. How you been? Doing really well. Thanks for having me on again, Jordy. Oh uh, well, all right. Let's talk about uh, LSU baseball. I guess we'll start off with um, certainly. Yeah, they get a win over at McNeese, and this is not sliding McNeese, but it wasn't the um, the most aesthetically beautiful game. They only had two hits through five and a half innings. They they had four errors. So once again, it seems like at the worst time of the year, which is now with the with the tournaments about to come and hit you, that LSU is not playing the best baseball. They're they're missing signals from the dugout. Something is amiss. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Um, yeah, and you, you, you said a lot of it. Uh, they're, they're just not playing great baseball at the moment, especially when it comes to their pitching and their bullpen and just sort of the lack of options and depth and consistency when it, on, on that side. Um, obviously, they've had injuries, but even if they didn't have injuries, they'd have a light bullpen, right? I mean, they, it, it would right. instead of – Again, again, I guess it is better to have two or three guys instead of zero guys. But two or three guys, is, it, it, you're going to have trouble winning games, and um, in, in 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 not just Hoover, but in Omaha, with, with that live right. bullpen. But anyway, um, yeah, they have obviously there's the obvious bullpen issues. There's the offense that's been honestly pretty up and down um, in recent weeks. Even though I'm not overly too overly concerned about that. Um, and yeah, they're just not playing great, great baseball right now. And, um, and I mean, maybe they're just trying to get out the scaries and the, and some of the bumps and bruises before, uh, before postseason play starts. But, um, I, I think a good showing this weekend against Georgia w- would do a lot to assuage some of these concerns. Well, we know that Skeens will get the ball on Thursday. Ty Florida will get the ball on Friday. Javen Coleman has been announced. He'll get to get get to start again on Saturday. Um, what is your what is your take on that? 
Um, I think it makes some sense if you think about it. In that, I mean, Javen's coming off the Tommy coming off of Tommy John surgery, and because of that, maybe he just needs some more time to warm up, and you give him a a, a proper starters uh, warm up before a game, and you know, give him that extra rest, uh, that roughly week long rest in between starts, and um, you can maybe get the best out of him for three or four innings, you know. Uh, more like three innings than four, but you right. you understand what I'm getting at here. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, if that's if that's what if that's what you need to do to get the most effective version out of him, then that's what you do. And uh, it's not like they have too many other better options for that for that last starter starting spot. So um, yeah, I, I think it does make sense if that's sort of the route that they're going with there. Oh, maybe LSU, like you said, they're getting all this stuff out of their system. The errors have popped up. The the pitching has been inconsistent all year long, other than um, than their Friday starter for sure. I thought I thought Floyd's been good. I just I just wish that um, I knew he threw 103 pitches. But dude, come on, it. We got to get you to pitch seven. If you're going good, they got to keep him in the game. I, you know, I I think he can throw seven innings. What if he gets his pitch count to to 115, 120. I mean, it's it's hot out there. He's he's got plenty of plenty of innings under his belt, right? Let's let him keep going. Yeah, but I, I, again, this isn't quite Major League Baseball either. In that, this is still you're still developing these guys, right? And yeah. you don't want to you don't want to endanger any of them in terms of injury or anything like that, or any any potential future money that they could get. In the, I mean, so you have to, there needs to be some sort of level of care with their arms. And I mean, we've seen it this year at LSU, right? I mean, the amount of Tommy John surgery is just within this team. And you look around college baseball there and, and the SEC, there have been similar issues on the teams. LSU isn't the only team that's had uh, injured pitchers this year. Just look at Arkansas, for example. So, um, so yeah, like they just need to be careful with these guys a little bit. So I, I agree that, Floyd should be getting throwing 100 consistently, but we sort of just got to the point where LSU's comfortable with getting him up to roughly 100 pitches in a start and going six or seven innings, right? I mean, he went eight in the third against Ole Miss. That was the longest start he's ever had in his career. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think six innings is pretty good for him. And I, I think the starting pitching isn't the problem right now. I, I mean, I, heck, I Blake was actually pretty decent for two innings yesterday. So, yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you get my point. But though. I understand what you're as, saying, though. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you take him out, as soon as you, you got to fix the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth, and you don't know what you're going to get. You really don't from day to day, and that's got to yeah. drive uh, the coaches crazy, and that's got to drive the fan base berserk. Yeah, exactly. And because there's no real difference between one through nine, and um. And most of those options are bad options, but then again, you'll get a random day where Bryce Collins looks amazing, or Thatcher Hurd looks great for a week or two, or you know. Yeah. So like this stuff will, the guys will sort of spurt up, and then they'll come back down. You know, um, it's just impossible to sort of manage your bullpen when there aren't any reliable options um, day in and day out, um, and there really hasn't been anyone who's just been consistently. Really, really bad, you know, or I don't want to right. say terrible, but like really, really bad. Like Riley Cooper was someone who um, I think a lot of fans were extremely frustrated with, but I mean, I think his, his SEC ERA is much better than Thatcher Hurd's, for example, and um, yeah. he kind of kept them in the mis- in the game on Sunday, 
until he gave up a run and, and finally gave up a run in the tenth. And he did about as well as you could expect him to expect him yeah. to do, throwing one run and two and two thirds. So, um, yeah, like again, everyone's pretty much the same, uh, which is not where you want them to be. But not absolutely unpitchable either, you know, except for maybe like oh. Will Helmers, but he really hasn't pitched in a SD game in weeks. So. Okay. okay, Raleigh with us. All right, let, now we're making some, we're, we're tinkering with the lineup. We're, we're putting Hayden Travinsky at first base because they love his bat and they're trying to find a spot for him. Do you think that's something they're going to stick with? What What is the best lineup for LSU? Yeah, um, I think you have to keep Travinsky's bat in the order or you have to find a way to do it because he's been really awesome offensively since they've yeah. um, more or less inserted him into the lineup around, I guess, the Ole Miss series is when he started, first came to the forefront when he had that huge home run to clinch that series sweep. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that – you think I think you need to have him in the order. And if that means sacrificing Garrett Jones, that means sacrificing Garrett Jones. But um, – you got you need you need to find a way to get his his power in, in the order, and I, I, I'd rather have that not be at first base, just because I'm not 100 percent sure how good he is defensively there, and he did drop a ball last night, so it's not perfect at all. Um, uh, and I know first base defense, you can kind of get away with guys there, but it, he's fair. He, he said last night was the first time he's played there since um, since high school, so. Uh, again, not a terribly reliable option, and but maybe playing Beloso at first or Trey Morgan at first, and then having Travinsky as the catcher or the DH that that would make that would make some more sense, and um, maybe move Joe Bear to left, and I, you, I don't know. There's there's some shifting and uh, stuff you can do because it's tough because even with Tommy White just a third at just that third, and with Kate Beloso in the order, there's only so many places where you can put Travinsky you know, outside a catcher. So um, yeah. when you have so many bats and not enough good gloves among those bats, that's when that's when all the movement goes, right? Jared Jones playing at first, Jared Jones the DH, you know. They even yeah. played Joe Bear at third base at one point when Tommy White had to be the DH. So there's – it's just – you run into logistical problems when you move guys around, uh, positionally at least. Uh, but they do have a, they still have a good problem to have when it comes to the amount of bats they have, especially with Travinsky's wise. But with yeah. – 52 games in, does that concern you that LSU's still tinkering, trying to to get, you know, get the best out? I remember Skip Bertman, and that, there's no other Skip Bertman, but once that lineup was set, that was it. That was it. He tinkered around in the early on, but once that conference schedule started, that was it, and he ran with it for the distance. LSU's still tinkering. Does that concern you? Um, I don't know if it totally concerns me just because the, the way they're tinkering with guys who are all helpful and all, can all contribute. Um, they, none of these okay. guys are, it's not like they have nine playable guys and then a bunch of like, okay, mediocre death players. You know what I mean? This isn't like, this isn't nine guys and then, you know, three Ben Napoles off the bench. Right. Um, and no, obviously there's no offense to Ben Napoles. He's a very good defensive player and, um, right. They bring him in in defensive spots, but Ben Napolt's no great hitter, and it's not like they have even Josh Pearson, a guy who has not hit the ball at all, at very well at all this year. He's still with a 400 on base percentage, so you know he's going to get on base when you start him, and that's and that alone is valuable with decent defense. Um, so 
yeah, like I, I think it's it's more or less of just mixing and mixing up and 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 you know just matching up to what your opponent is throwing that day. And um, Jay Johnson isn't afraid to do that. He's talked about that a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Like, and he's also not afraid to move guys in the orders because one guy's hitting well at ninth doesn't mean he's just going to stick him in the nine hole. You know, he's going to move him up to six if the matchups right, or he's going to move him back down the nine if the matchups wrong. You know, he's done that with Jordan Thompson a bunch. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm not too worried about it, to be honest. And also, like, we've seen the results. I mean, they have the best offense in college baseball. And even, and even yeah, we've had some criticisms of them lately, but they still scored, what, 20, 28, 29 runs this past weekend at Mississippi State. That should be enough runs to win you a series. So it I, I, it's, I yep. don't think it's the ultimate problem with this team. Right, we'll see. Uh, the playoffs are coming. Uh, the postseason's coming, and this is when Jay Johnson's going to earn his money, and uh, the pressure will build. There's no question about that. I, uh, well, real quick, on the football side, I'm going to say the same thing that I said when Jaden Daniels came from Arizona State to LSU. He ain't transferring to be sitting on the bench. Logan Diggs didn't transfer from Notre Dame to come sitting on the bench. If I'm, if I'm that running back room, I'm getting – the work because Logan Diggs has proven some things. LSU made a concerted effort to go get him. Brian Kelly liked him before because he recruited him to Notre Dame from Irmo High School. Logan Diggs is going to get the ball. He, he he's going to be their running back. Agree or disagree? Um. Yeah, I more or less agree. Um. To the extent of of having them having a number one running back, I think he's definitely going to be in the fold. I think he's probably going to get the most carries on the team. Um, but I don't think this means necessarily either that Josh Williams won't get any carries or will have his workload right. significantly cut down. Or um, same goes with uh, Armani Goodwin or John Emery if he comes back. Or I mean, the freshmen we're going to play they're they're pretty much depth pieces for the season. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think this was I think this is more than just insurance. I think this is a real upgrade. But at the same time, I, I still think Josh Williams will get his will get his touches, yeah. and, and yeah. all the other guys will get some get some play, you know. And yeah. um, but but like if hey, if Amari Goodwin isn't ready for the start of the year, they don't have to worry about it. So so that's that's the sure. sort of that's the sort of benefit of a move that a move like this gives you. Uh, it's a wake up call to everybody. And John Emery, yeah, okay, we'll see. All right, Cokie Riley, greatly appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you. No baseball today. Because it's coming down like cats and dogs, buddy. But thank you for your time. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jordy. You got it, Betty. Cokie Riley uh, covers LSU for the Daily Advertiser USA Today. Speaking of USA, um, second major of the year. We will head to New York. Alex Myers, Golf Digest, previews tomorrow's opening round of the PGA Championship. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app. It's now your one-stop shop for all things the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana sports station. Download the free mobile app today from your Apple or Android device. Just search the game Southwest Louisiana. No matter where you are, you can listen to the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette 
1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we are back 37 minutes, uh, 37 minutes after the hour on a Wednesday, May 17th. Tomorrow, round one, where Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York, is hosting the PGA Championship for the fourth time. But they've gone through a complete restoration back in 2019. I got to find out what this course is all about and get the lowdown. You take a chance in May in upstate New York with the weather. So we got our expert from Golf Digest, the pro. It's part of the norm here. Anytime we have a major golf championship, Alex Myers is kind enough to lend his expertise, and he's done so again today. Alex, you don't have to travel far this time, my friend. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned May, New York. Uh, It's not exactly uh, the summer here yet. Let's just put it that way. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, when the PGA moved to May, uh, it, it, they said it was going to open it up for them to go to a lot more courses. It'd be in August where a lot of the courses are closed or too hot. But uh, this is going to definitely test it. I mean, we had freezing conditions uh, up there. Uh, you know, I don't think it got to 50 degrees today. Tomorrow when those first guys tee off, it's going to be at least wind chill-wise freezing. So definitely another uh, element for these guys to deal with. Yeah. Uh, forecast call for the temps to be in the 60s and 70s uh, for most of the tournament. Uh, there's yeah. also a chance of rain on the weekend, so we'll have to see um, what happens there. Storylines. There's always storylines. Uh, Jordan Spieth going for a career Grand Slam, but he's hurt. Um, any word on his left wrist injury? You know, no update, but just the fact that he's there, I guess, is a good sign. Uh, That being said, you know, he withdrew from a tournament that he loves last week, his hometown tournament, the AT&T Byron Nelson. Uh, So you know it had to be pretty bad. And we're talking about Oak Hill with very thick rough. So the last thing you want to do with a wrist injury is deal with that. And we know Jordan Spieth isn't exactly – you know, Mr. Fairway off the tee. So uh, to me, it, it's, you know, uh, give him credit for trying to, you know, gut it out and play. But uh, I don't think anybody's really expecting too much yeah. from him this week. And I think on the, uh, you know, the sports books, he's dropped from like a 15 to one guy to like a 40, 45 to one guy. So obviously the books aren't expecting much from him either because they know, you know, people are always looking to uh, bet on Jordan Spieth. Uh, this will be his seventh attempt at completing the Grand Slam. Yeah. Of course, we all know Jack, Tiger, Ben Hogan, Gary Player, Gene Sarazen are the only ones to do that. Rory McIlroy still trying to get his uh, in another major that he needs to get and all. I, I was curious. Somebody brought this up, and I want your uh, thoughts on it. Uh, is this the most competitive era that golf has ever seen? Because you know, there was certain Jack Nick uh, Arnold Palmer. Then, then, then there was Jack Nicholas, and then you know, then you got Tiger Woods. And but now it's you got a whole bunch of. Is this the most competitive? Yeah, I, I don't know how you could say it's not, Jordy. You know, and it you know with most sports, you know, you hate to be you know recent. You have recency bias, but the yeah. athletes are just getting so much better. And then in golf, you have the athletes getting better and the technology and the equipment getting better right. uh you know it's not just the nba with the guys are bigger faster stronger 
they're using the same basketball. They're playing on the same court with the same rim height and everything else. But in golf, you've had all these technological advances, and obviously the USGA came up this year and said they're going to try to at least halt some of these advances with, with the golf ball. Uh, we'll see if that ends up happening. But uh, the point is there's so many great players now um, who can all – do pretty similar things on the course. So um, a lot of, you know, the margin between some of these top guys is so small and the margin between the top guys and guys who aren't even on the PJ tour, the guys who are on the corn Ferry tour is so small. So I think week in week out, there's more, you know, a deeper field of talent, more guys who have a chance to win. Um, and so, yeah, I do think it, it, it's the most competitive era. Uh, that being said, you know, with the majors, you kind of expect, at least a certain level of guy to, you know, rise to the top. Um, and, and as we've seen, especially in the past decade, there are very few kind of fluky major yeah, champs. Um, even right. guys who've only won one major, they, they didn't just win that one major. They, they, you know, they won a few other tournaments or at least had a one or two year span where they got hot. Uh, so, uh, but, but put that all together. I mean, you know, there are probably 30 guys who could win this week, Jordy. And, I think that's yeah. a lot more than probably in Nicholas's yeah. era um, or, or any era before. Justin Thomas, the defending PGA champion, said, I like the course. I love old-school golf courses. You talked about the rough, kind of like U.S. Open rough. I saw a deal where the guy stuck the, the ruler, and it went like two and a half to three inches. So with that being said, if you had to put level of importance, um, is it, hitting the ball in the fairway, or I hear if you don't hit the ball on the green in certain spots, that ball's going to roll like crazy. And there are elevated <laughs> greens and there's sand everywhere. What's what's going to what What's the most important aspect from tee to green this week? So it's, it's a great question um, because, as you mentioned, it's not only the rough uh, around the course, and it's not only the length of the rough, it's just the thickness of the rough. Again, we're talking May northeast wet gnarly rough hasn't really dried out yet uh but then you have these bunkers both the fairway bunkers and the greenside bunkers are very deep really steep faces um a lot of guys are going to have big decisions whether or not to go for the green in two when they're in one of those bunkers you're going to need to be away from the face around the green you're going to really have to elevate it quickly uh as one caddy pointed out a lot of the bunkers funnel towards the middle which would be fine, except if you have to really elevate a bunker shot, you kind of want a little uh, be on the upslope, and, and you're not going to really have that. So there's a lot of things. And then you mentioned, yeah, the different slopes, the runoff areas. Um, the third hole, the par three, if you come up short on that, it could roll back 50 yards down the hill. So uh, from tee to green, there are a lot of challenges at Oak Hill. It, it, it's tough to pick what what's the most. But that being said, I do think, you know, the person who – drives it great all week um we'll, we'll have a, an advantage for sure and of course that always starts with length um you're talking about a 7400 yard par 70 we're not talking about a par 72 here 7400 par 70 uh with these colder conditions uh, and like you said maybe some rain on saturday that's definitely going to favor the longer guy but also the longer guy who can you know keep it in play and, and find uh more fairways than that uh, that always brings to mind Live Golf's Bryson DeChambeau, who um, bombed his way at that wing foot to win the 2020 U.S. Open. Um, 
you know, people tinker with their clubs. They tinker with their swing. I've never seen anybody tinker with their body like DeShambo now. He's lost about <laughs> 15 pounds. What's he trying to do? He gain weight to, to hit, the, hit it further. Now he's losing weight. What's he doing? Yeah, he's all over the place. It, it's kind of wild, right? I mean, he, you know, it's hard to say that his experiment didn't work. Obviously, he won a bunch of tournaments, including that U.S. Open, where he dominated at Wingfoot. And, and like you said, this, a lot of people are comparing this to Wingfoot, where, yeah, if you miss the fairway, you're in trouble, but you might as well then, you know, if a lot of guys are going to miss the fairway, if they're so narrow, you might as well just hit it as far as you can. And that's kind of what Bryson did all week at Wingfoot that week. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's with the body, it's crazy. He, he, for whatever reason, he wasn't feeling good, which I get it. I mean, he was drinking about eight protein shakes a day and doing all that stuff. Uh, makes sense. He wasn't feeling good. And he, I think he finally realized probably wasn't the healthiest. So look, he looks great now. Um, you know, the results haven't been there yet, but I think he played a little better these last couple live events. Um, and as we saw at the masters, you know, these live guys popped up, um, people are talking about Bryson, you know, in that hundred to one range. Um, I personally am going to stay away, but, um, it wouldn't shock me. He certainly looks and, and sounds a lot better than, than he did, um, with all these injuries in the past couple of years. All right. Well, Scotty Scheffler's the betting favorite. John Rahm is out there. He was tremendous at the masters. So, um, who does, uh, Alex Myers like this week? Well, yeah, it's it's tough not to um, to like John Rahm. I mean, I, I'm I'm not gonna bet him at seven to one or whatever. So hats off to him if he wins again. Uh, but of those top guys, I think you know it sets up best for him. Uh, Scheffler is struggling with the putting right now, especially on some short putts. You know he's going to face a bunch of those uh, at a major championship. I think Rahm's obviously more solid with the putter. Uh, I think Rahm's the better driver of the golf ball. Um, you know, the course maybe fa- favors, if anything, a little left to right ball flight, which Rom usually goes to and feels most comfortable with. That's why I would take Rom over Rory. So if those kind of big three, um, I- I'm, I'm thinking Rom is the guy. I know that's not going on a limb or anything, but, but again, I'm, I'm probably not going to bet it because I just can't do seven to one odds. Um, although it's, pro- it's probably what he should be. He's probably, you know, that, that is probably what he should be considering how well he's played this year. Give me a dark horse. Come on now. Who are you betting on? Give me good odds with a player you think it's uh yeah. that's uh that's coming on strong. Sure. Well, you know, I actually three live guys who I bet on, um, I got great odds on. Uh Cameron Smith, fifty to one odds, the reigning British wow. Open champ, just lost in a playoff to Dustin Johnson last week in Tulsa. Then I took Dustin Johnson at thirty to one. And then I took Brooks Kepka at twenty-eight to one. He's now up to twenty to one, so he's getting some love. Um, you know, we, you know, a lot of people are comparing Oak Hill maybe to Wingfoot in twenty twenty, but they're also comparing it to the PGA at Bethpage in twenty nineteen. That's when Brooks Kepka shot a first round sixty-three and led wire to wire and, and beat Dustin Johnson. So, if that's the case, um, we all saw what he did at Masters. Of course, he did blow the four-shot lead, uh, but he certainly looked pretty darn good. Uh, compared to the past couple years. And, you know, we know he's a two-time winner of this event. So those are the three guys uh, that I'm, I'm going with kind of in that 20 to 30 range. Again, I got a crazy number on Cam Smith at 50. And then the other two guys I really like, uh, Xander Shoffley, uh, you know, a guy we always talk about. It's, it's two guys that we always talk about, when are they going to win that first major? Xander Shoffley and Tony Finau. Um, I think they both have the 
clearly Tony Fino has the length, but Xander has the length, I think, to play here as well. He's got the bunker game to play here. Um, I'm hoping Fino's just not going to be in a lot of those bunkers when he's on. Um, you know, he, he's so good tee to green. And again, if this is going to be a tough condition, uh, you know, tough scoring conditions, and you don't have to make a ton of putts, um, I just like Fino kind of cruising along and, you know, couple under, couple under, and lo and behold, maybe eight under by the end of the week gets it done. Interesting. All right. Hit it long. Keep it in the fairway. Um, It's, you know, no quite a couple things I've got to, you know, the live golf tour I saw had their, their AFL uh, Heidi moment where the network, (laughs) whatever it was cut away and showed some reruns of some comedies or or something like that. So that, that tells me an awful lot, but I got to get your, I've never heard of this before. I don't know what division of golf it was, but a women's championship in college. They, they called it off because of unfair yeah. unfair hole placement. I've never heard of that before. Absolutely crazy. I mean, it's funny, Jordy. About once a year, I'd say, uh, something goes viral where you see these videos from a crazy pin location in a tournament. It's usually a high school tournament where someone who doesn't know anything about golf set it up. And, you know, you see guys, put, girls or guys putting it off the green and all this. This, though, was from an NCAA national championship, the Division Three national championship in yes, women. Yes. And it was at a, the name is escaping me, but it's at a, a course where they played eight times previously this event. So, um, and the NCAA is responsible for setting up the pins, and there was a whole committee there. So someone really made a big mistake because they were just, you know, the, it was averaging about two shots over par, uh, there were a crazy number of triple bogeys. But, yeah, over half the field had finished the third round, and there was a weather delay. And during the weather delay, the committee convened and said, you know what, we should just scrap this round because of this one hole. So, yes, I would say that's pretty unprecedented that not only they scrapped the round, but they wiped out, you know, 80, 70 scores that had already counted from the day. So they shortened it from a four round event to a three round event um, and ended up playing the final round the next day. But yeah, pretty wild stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, again, unfortunate for those involved, although there were a couple birdies on that hole. Those people were probably ticked that their score Man. didn't count. Man, I swear, Alex, um, I think whoever set up that hole follows me wherever I play. Cause I think they do that to me on every <laughs> round problem, somehow, right? some way, but anyway, all yeah. right. So, um, God, it's still in the 30s up there where you are. Uh-uh, come on down here, man. We got we got warm temps. <laughs> I wish. Come on, Alex. Let me, Believe let me, me Jordy. I wish. I'm tired of this. I thought we'd gotten to the good weather, and then all of a sudden I go out the other morning, and it's back to being freezing in the morning again. So, uh, <sighs> yeah, you know, again, it, I, you can't really count on good weather up here until at least June. It's kind of crazy. And then in June, you never know. It could rain every day. So uh, it's uh-uh. not great. Uh September's no, our best you. month. What, That's about it. That's our best month. Well, what's great is you coming on our show, um, and we greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the tournament, big guy. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Jordy. Enjoy it as well. Take care. We'll do it again soon. You got it, my friend. Thank you so much. Alex Myers, Golf Digest. As the PGA Championship gets underway tomorrow from Chile, Rochester, New York, and Oak Hills Country Club. Back to wrap up our number one next.
This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And our great partner, ShopRite, Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets. If you can't shop right at ShopRite, man, I'm telling you, you really can't shop right at all. By Ducks, cleaning America's air from the inside out. Eon, the premier touchless robotic laser body contouring device that helps you lose those unwarranted inches along with permanent fat reduction. Eon in Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville. By the Louisiana Lottery, you can't win until you start playing DC's Little Capital Exxon with their true soul food deli. Home of the best cheeseburger ever. Cajun Chef, do yourself a flavor. Turn up the taste with Cajun Chef hot sauce. Don't agree with what Jordy has to say? Not to worry. He's always open to a healthy debate. Well, Dean, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that Actually, question. Actually, I'd like to jump in and take that one, Jimmy, if you don't mind. Have at it, Hoss. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111. Now back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, quick wrap of our number one. We'll talk NBA hoops. Pels pick at number 14 in the upcoming draft. Game one, Eastern Conference Finals, Miami at Boston. We'll talk with Michael Huguenin. Hump day with you. Going to wait till you hear what Tennessee plans to do between Thompson Bowling Arena, their basketball stadium, and Neyland Stadium, their football stadium. It's a novel idea. We'll explain all of that when we return. Our number two of the Jordy Helper Show here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Fighting Tigers of LSU and the World Series champs, the Houston Astros. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour number two of two, and away we go on a rainy Wednesday afternoon, May 17th, the year 2023. I hope uh, wherever you are, you're safe uh, as you travel out and about. And thanks so much for being with us, my main man, James Mesh, in the producer's chair inside the Evco Development Studios. Evco Development, a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's on the campus of Delta Media, which is where you'll find KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on KLCJ 1041 in Lake Charles, streaming everywhere. Everywhere. 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can catch us on television as we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Prior to game one of the Western Conference Finals last night. Every Pelicans fan had their rabbit's foot, their fingers crossed, their toes crossed. Could the Pels possibly, possibly pull off a miracle and improve their draft positioning? Well, alas, poor Yorick. Um, They heard their name picked right off the bat, and they will still have the 14th pick in this upcoming draft. Christian Clark, our good friend who covers... The Pels for NOLA.com, kind enough to join us. Well, Christian, it was kind of a disappointment, but but first of all, thank you for your time. Uh, kind of a disappointment, but 
Um, you look through history and 14th pick, one name comes to mind to me, and he's playing in the Eastern Conference Finals tonight, and that's Bam Adebayo for the Miami Heat. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Hey, man, I'm doing well. Yeah, that's a, uh, a high-end outcome at the 14th pick. It could also be Shabazz Muhammad, too. It... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to stay positive here, Christian. Come on now. Okay, let's stay David positive. David Griffin, positive we trust. Today. Yikes. Yikes. Um, okay, so you look at this draft. Um, there's a lot of talent out there, but is there high-level NBA talent that might develop into something uh, look, Trey Morgan was uh, – was. What, what pick was he? Not Trey Morgan. What am I talking about? Christine, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, who, I'm, I'm thinking of okay. Trey Murphy. I'm there we sorry. Go. Trey Murphy was like, what, 17th pick? He's turned out to be pretty good. Trigger Trey was the 17th pick. That was – like, if you just look at all the moves that they have made in the David Griffin era, that little trade with Memphis to uh, – to get off of Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams and bring in JV, move them down 10 spots in the draft, to put them in a position to select Trey Murphy and the Grizzlies got Zaire Williams at 10. That might have been the single best one. There have been some hits. There have been some misses. That was, that was maybe the, the biggest hit of the David Griffin era. Yeah. You know, I look at these playoffs, and I just try to envision if the Pels were in the Western Finals against Denver – and I get a nightmare thinking of Jonas Valanciunas having to guard um, Nikola Jokic and getting involved in pick and rolls with Jamal Murray. That that's that, that's just a nightmare. You can't do it. So with the 14th pick, what what are the Pels looking for in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think that is a, you know a, a nightmare scenario. I'm I'm a fan of Jonas Valanciunas. Me personally, me and him have a good relationship personally. I think he's a good player, but if you're, if you're trying to win multiple rounds in the playoffs, I just, I don't know if Jonas Valanciunas could be your starting center. So I think the center position is something they're going to explore. Um, and then as far as the 14th pick, um, you know, I think they don't, they're not necessarily set on a position. I think that they'll probably just take a swing at a guy. They feel like, you know, can, can be, have an impact in the NBA and, and they, you know, feel like could be special. And I honestly, I feel like that could be a big, it could be a wing, it could be a guard. I don't, I don't think there's any set position they're looking to add to the draft. Christian, we talk about this all the time with the New Orleans Saints, um, trying to improve their draft position. Is there something you think David Griffin might package? And is there something packageable without getting rid of your very best players? Obviously, is there something packageable that the Pels could possibly move up, maybe into the single digits in this draft. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's on the table, maybe. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, look, um, I, I just I, I think unless you're not going to part with Zion Brandon or CJ McCollum, uh, you know, the only guy is is Jonas Valanciunas. Really, I mean, they're not going to trade Trey Murphy. He's the only. You know, one of the only guys on the team who could shoot. I uh, would have a hard time seeing them part with Herb Jones. I mean, I think if you're not going to move off of Zion B.I. or C.J., then, then the answer is probably Jonas Valanciunas. He's just one, one of the only guys who makes sense from a, a salary perspective. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, we sh- we shall see. We shall see. Go for the best player uh, available and and go from there. What uh, what a ba- what a basketball game that was last night. I mean, Denver Denver had them on the ropes. The Lakers kind of figured out, let's take Anthony Davis away from the Joker and let him play a little free safety back there and I think the Lakers came away albeit in a loss. I think they came away feeling we got something here that that we can build on. Don't you think that? Yeah, I think Denver's going to have to adjust. And and when you go back to that series that Denver and L.A. played in the bubble, it was Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee as the primary defenders on Jokic, and it was A.D. in a support role, kind of like we saw at the end of the game last night. You know, L.A. doesn't have the size that they did on that bubble team. It was Hachimura Mm -hmm. on Jokic. Um, So I think, you know, they're they're maybe not as equipped as they were a couple years ago to stop Jokic, but... It's certainly something that I think they're going to continue to try. And, and Denver, you know, is going to have to adjust. I mean, if they want to have Aaron Gordon out there, they can't have him standing in dunker spot. I mean, did they try to go a little bit smaller and just put Michael Porter Jr. in there at power forward and just have a, a straight shooter as your four? Um, but, but that's definitely a, a move they'll have to, to make in game two. How far do you think this series goes? Uh, I'm, I, I, I picked the Nuggets, you know, before the season to make it to the finals. I'm still feeling good about it. So I think the Nuggets are going to win, but I do think it's going to be a hard fought series. I mean, yeah. six or seven, I I'd probably just say seven. Um, and I think, okay. you know, LA, like Phoenix couldn't really take advantage of Denver's biggest weakness, which is, you know, scoring at the rim. Like Denver is susceptible you know, in the paint at the rim for teams that can slash and finish around the rim. I think that's a reason why we've seen Zion play really well against Denver. Um, and I, I think L.A. could just do that. Like, they could go to that LeBron mm-hmm. AD pick and roll and eat them up that way a little bit. And LeBron can get inside. AD can get inside. So I, I do think that, that L.A. can pick at that a little bit. Okay, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight. Everybody's picking Boston except for Jimmy Butler and the Heat, and Jimmy says it's our time. What do you think of that series? Oh, man. I mean, I, I feel like Miami's run is, is going to come to an end, but, I mean, don't don't pick against Jimmy Butler. <laughs> it never feels good when you're doing that. Um, I mean, the, the interesting thing about Boston to me is they're so much more dependent on the three-point shot, I think, than they were a year ago. And, you know, that, that kind of, I think, leads to some wild swings in their performances. Um, they're just yeah. so dependent on the three ball. Um, so I just think there's some variance that comes with that. I love Eric Spolster. I think he's the best coach out of the four remaining. I'm, yeah, I think Boston's going to win, but they're going to have to earn it for sure. Christian Clark with us. Um, back to the Pels. We get to see uh, Victor Wembayana with the San Antonio Spurs four times a year, so I'm sure the Smoothie King Center will be sold out for that bad boy. I just hope I hope that uh, Zion can bulk up against him and use his body and crash into him, and we can see both of those guys playing next year. Oh, you and me both, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if Zion doesn't play in a lot of games next year, I mean, if he doesn't play 60-plus games, I mean, I, I don't even know what I'd think. Um, you know, I, I like, Wembenyama, I watched those two games that the, the Metropolitan, the French team he plays for, um, right. they, they played those two games in Vegas against G-League Ignite, and Wembenyama uh-huh. was spectacular, the shot-making. I, I You know, I, I'm not going to – 
sit here and pretend like I watched a ton of his full games, but I did watch this game uh, a couple years back. It was like the U18 World Championships, and it was France and USA. And uh, USA beat them, and it was uh, Kenny Lofton Jr., a Louisiana kid, and yeah. it was uh, Chet Holmgren. And, and Kenny Lofton Jr. actually played pretty well, and he, he physical with them, and, and it worked at times. And I think that's one of the questions I have for Wabanyama early in his career against those big physical guys. Can he be overwhelmed? Like, I would, I'm right. fascinated to see the first time Zion and Wemby play with play against each other. Does Wemby's length win or does Zion's power win? Yeah, that's that's part of the intrigue. He's uh he's unique. There's no question about that. Um I keep hearing this talk about um Willie Green warning an experienced former head coach on the bench with him. Take me through the details. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, I think I put out there uh, maybe two weeks ago, the Pelicans want to add somebody with head coaching experience to their coaching staff. Um, I I mean, I think that's kind of a collective organizational decision. But I I think Willie Green is, you know, pretty self-aware. He knows, hey, look, I'm still a really young guy doing this, going into my third year. I'm in my early 40s. Uh, He wants guys you know, with experience he can lean on. Um, you know, I think Jaron Collins is looked at as a, a very good assistant in the NBA, and I think they just want, you know, an, another rock-solid experienced assistant as a part of the staff. Um, last year, Jaron Collins kind of oversaw the defense, and the Pelicans had a lot of success. They were sixth in defensive efficiency. I think, you know, if you can add somebody who has some fresh ideas on the offensive end, um, that would that would probably be a, a plus for this team. So yeah, I, th- I definitely think they're going to try to upgrade the coaching staff a little bit. I mean, Mark Stein reported interest in James Borrego, guy who was in charge in Charlotte for a while, was a, an assistant yeah. actually in New Orleans when Willie was a player here. That one would make a lot of sense to me if they could get him. He checks a lot of those boxes. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, they'll probably end up adding the, somebody with head coaching experience to the staff. Isn't the innovative offensive mind already kind of affiliated with the Pels and Mike D'Antoni? Although you keep hearing rumors about him going to Philly. I mean, I don't know if his offensive style, we don't have a James Harden that just shoots all the time from downtown, but he's pretty innovative. He's already been a consultant. That That's not going to work, you don't think? Yeah, I think they want somebody on the bench. Uh, and I think if they could have convinced Mike D'Antoni to live in New Orleans full-time and be an assistant, they would have liked to. I just think it was a deal where, you know, Mike is at the stage of his career. It's like, well, I can get this consultant work. Um, and I, I believe he was living in Austin, which is where he has okay. uh, some family. Um, you know, it's a, a pretty good situation for him. And, yeah. you know, he probably will be in the running for this, this Philadelphia 76ers job. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just think they want somebody on the bench, you know, if, if – I, I was told that the Willie and Mike communicated pretty frequently throughout last season. Um, but, you know, just to, just to have somebody here all the time, I think would be a positive. Lonnie Williams is out there, but Pell's fired him. There's no way he comes back and sits on the bench next to Willie Green, does he? Oh, it's funny, man. I mean, you probably understand better than me. It was a... Uh, a lot different basketball situation in New Orleans when Monty was here than Willie, too. I think things have yeah. uh, improved quite a bit. But uh, yeah. Monty was here for some pretty uh, pretty rough days for professional basketball in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. 
Doc Rivers is out there. Doesn't he kind of know Willie Green a little bit? If, if Doc doesn't get another gig, I, I wonder if his ego would allow him to be an assistant rather than go back to the television world. Doc doesn't need it, man. He's got so much money. He loves playing yeah. golf so much. I mean, I would be yeah. shocked if Doc is like, I'll, I'll go to New Orleans and be an assistant. I mean, okay. that dude's going to be in L.A. playing a lot of golf. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, Christian Clark, 14th pick in the draft. Let's come up with a good one. Um, and can you please um, help our first-round pick from a year ago get a better jump shot, and then we'll, the Pels will be okay. And keep them healthy, right? Come on. I got kind of an iffy jump shot myself, so I don't know if I can help him there. Um, Can't help? Okay. But I'll, I'll do my best, man. Okay, I'll do my best. I appreciate it. Go, go have some downtime, buddy. Thank you so much, Christian Clark. Kind enough to join us covering the Pels and the NBA for NOLA.com. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll come back. Hump Day with Huguenin commences. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover Built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Bordelon's Furniture, a flat screen TV from ABI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Good afternoon, Mr. Huguenin. Michael, how are you, sir? Uh, Doing quite well. Good. How's the weather in Orlando? Hot as Hades? Uh, It's hot, man. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot. All right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reading a story, and it, it, it just doesn't phase me in one way or the other. It just, it's so so obviously true. Uh, you know, when Nick Saban was LSU, was the head coach at LSU, he would, and I was doing his radio and TV and all that, he would always say things to me, and I knew that he wasn't addressing that to me. He was addressing these comments to his players, that they would listen and they would understand what his message was for that week. And I'm reading an article about how when Jimbo, when Nick Saban called out Jimbo Fisher and said that Fisher bought every player, he wasn't sending that message to A&M. He wasn't sending that to his team. He was sending that to Alabama fans and boosters to fund the NIL deal or Bama's going to get left behind. And boy, oh boy, it's worked yet again. Yeah, I think most... I think the vast majority of coaches who complain about NIL are complaining to make sure their boosters know what's going on. I think there are a few, and Dabo's one. You know, Dabo doesn't like the transfer portal, for God's sake. So, uh, but I think the vast majority of coaches like Saban when they're talking about NIL, it's you know, oh my goodness, I can't believe, like you said, like you said, I can't believe Texas A&M paid for that class. Um, well, technically, it's you know you can parse words and all that kind of stuff, but it, it, it's it's basically legal now to do that. 
So yeah. that was, I think, a, a sort of a call to arms to the Bama boosters to uh, it's time to raise some money. It's time to raise money for NIL to pay players. Um, and you're also going to get calls about um, facilities at Alabama. Um, just make sure, though, that in the back of your mind or maybe in the front of your mind, you worry more about NIL than anything else. I read something where um, Tennessee is trying to get very creative, and there's a parcel of land between Neyland Stadium, the football stadium, and their Thompson Bowling Arena, their basketball arena. They're going to try to do something like what's out there in L.A. They're going to try and put together an entertainment complex with a hotel with um, with suites you could own and uh, just have kind of a bar area, boutiques, and all that kind of stuff on camp. It'd be the first of its kind. I think it's genius if you can if you can come up with the money for it and do it. I think it's pretty smart. Yeah, but the, the, this is for athlete housing? No, no, for oh. fans, hotels, okay. and yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was a big push on that kind of stuff in the early 2000s. Um, I, for instance, I know they did it in Gainesville and Tallahassee. They built, an, they built apartments, and they sold them to what they hope would be season ticket holders. You know, here's, here's a place to, pl- uh, to stay when you come up for the six home games a year. If you come up for any other events, you'll, you'll have a place to stay, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's, putting it on campus is, you're right, it's, it's a genius move, and it may not appeal to everybody. Uh, right. But they're only trying to appeal to a certain number of people who have a ton of money. So, yeah. um, you know, I think most of us would look at, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pay X amount of money, X amount of million dollars to, to buy a place where I can stay 15 times a year. Other people wouldn't bat an eye, though. That's right. There's only so many boat slips um, to pull up to now at Tennessee, so they got to come up with a new idea. Mike Huguenin with us. Um, Amelia Island, Florida, was an interesting um, place this week. Um, the uh, ACC uh, have wrapped up three days of spring meetings, and Commissioner Jim Phillips says uh, that the athletic directors have told him we're all in this together. I say hogwash. Yeah, exactly. I don't believe that's that for like, one second. Yeah, that's 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 ludicrous. And th- th- there are evidently half the league is extremely upset, and I would argue that four of the seven are truly PO'd um, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, and Clemson about the ACC media rights deal, which lasts through 2036. At the time the deal was mm-hmm. made, you could understand the reasoning, though within 18 months, I think that reasoning had gone by the boards. Um, yeah, the, the ACC deal is so long that the Big Ten Big 12 and SEC, which have recently signed new deals, will sign an even newer deal before the ACC deal runs out. Um, right. the, the grant of rights thing, it's obviously I live in Florida. There's two ACC schools in the state, one public, one private. The public school AD, uh, Florida State, has been extremely vocal about the fact that they are falling farther and farther behind in the arms race. And he even pointed out that UCF, as a yes. new member of the Big 12, conceivably could be making more money than FSU in about five or six years. Um, and that is cer- certainly an eye-opener, which means they're also going to be making more than Miami. 
Um, but the interesting thing, you know, you're talking about, okay, we're stuck with this deal, so we're the drivers of the revenue. Give us a bigger cut. And it's mind-blowing to me, and I'll explain why it's mind-blowing. The fact that there's so many people out there going, yeah, they deserve it. They should get more money. And yet 10 years ago, when Nebraska and Colorado left the Big 12, ostensibly because they were tired of Texas getting bigger piece of the pie, everybody said, right. yeah, of course, Texas is out of control, good for Nebraska and Colorado. Well, now things obviously have changed. The shoe's on a lot of other different foot now, feet now. And, yeah, I think people are looking at the ACC deal and thinking Florida State and Miami and Clemson and North Carolina are more valuable than B.C., Syracuse, Wake Forest, and Georgia Tech. And yeah. I think the next wave – is, and that's, that's in a league that has, obviously, issues. I think the next wave, you're going to see the LSUs and Georgias and Floridas and Alabamas and Ohio States and Michigans of the world say, we're the driver of the revenue. Ain't nobody paying big money to the SEC for Mississippi State. Ain't nobody paying big money to the Big Ten because of Northwestern. And there's right. also a bunch of rumors about the, the Pac-12 TV deal, which is remains in limbo, there have been, and I have heard and talked to people who have told me this, Washington and Oregon want a bigger cut of the pie. And mm-hmm. at some point, it, it, you're right, it, the, the, or I shouldn't say you're right, but the idea that we're all for one and one for all sounds good, um, and it makes some business sense. But if you're Florida and you're LSU and you're Alabama and you're Georgia looking at the bottom line, realizing we're getting the same amount of money that Vanderbilt and Mississippi State are getting, that's in, in the real world, that wouldn't be happening because the value of certain brands like Florida, LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, vastly higher than Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. I'll give you a classic example close here. Uh small Southland conference McNeese was threatening to leave the conference. And if they left the conference, the Southland, uh, what, what do we do now? Where, where right. do we go from here? And so the conference said, look, you got to stay. We'll give you this, 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 they got every conference tournament on their home courts, their home fields. They've, they've gotten grandfathered into so many things. It was, it, and now with a with a um, creative athletic director, they've gone. And this is a granted Southland Conference. They've gone from four hundred thousand dollars to to over three million in sponsorship money. That's a drop in the bucket to Power Five. But for a school like McNeese, right, that's it's, huge. It's, it's, so that's right. what we're it, it, coming it, the, to. The scalability is the issue there, and you got to give credit to a outside. You know, I hate the phrase outside the box, but everybody knows what that means. And the AD yeah. probably there were probably some people there like we can't do this, but more power to McNeese and more power to Florida State and North Carolina if they get it done. And again, I think it definitely eventually going to happen in the SEC and Big Ten because as more and more money is involved um, and there's a thought that NIL is going to be sort of consumed or taken over by the schools themselves, paying the players, all that kind of stuff, every penny is going to count. And again, if you're in the SEC or Big Ten and you're a major brand program, the idea that you're getting the same cut as Rutgers 
or Maryland or yeah. or Vandy or Mississippi State or Ole Miss or even South Carolina, you got to look at that and say, what's going on here? This is ridiculousness. Though I think ridiculousness is mild to compare to the language that be would be used because you know and I've said it in your show before I'm fully convinced that if the SEC did not exist and they they wanted to make an SEC Mississippi and Mississippi State would not even be in the top 20 of teams they want in the league let's get serious here agree agree Mike Hugan and kind enough to join us we'll take a quick time out we'll come back we'll delve into some more topics here what's going to happen is the Pac-12 going to go uh, into the ocean we'll figure it all out next as we return with hump day with huguenin this is the jordy holberg show on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros and speaking of the mcneese the uh, the game 1037 lafayette 1041 lake charles is your home for the mcneese coaches show presented by mr bill's seafood express southwest beverage company line a bet out of westlake and southwest louisiana law center tune in tonight starting at six as host jim gazola will be talking with the guy that got a five-year contract extension the athletic director heath schroyer and softball coach james landredo is heading out to seattle for the ncaa softball tournament you can hear it all right here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Every day is a Chamber of Commerce kind of day when you're listening to the Jordy Holberg Show. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Uh, we continue with Hump Day with Hugan. He's so good, we gave him his own title, and we've been doing this for years and years and years, and I'm so appreciative of it. Mike, as we continue, uh, everybody agrees that the SEC and the Big Ten are set. They are the juggernauts. They're the powerhouses. But the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC, how do they keep up while generating millions less? And And a lot of people believe that, all three of them can't coexist successfully. What happens to those other conferences? That, that's obviously the long, uh, extremely interesting long-term question. Uh, I think in the short term, the Big 12's comfortable where it is because of their new TV deal, which was better than people thought, considering that the two biggest programs, Oklahoma and Texas, are leaving. Now, they did bring in UCF, Houston, BYU and Cincinnati. UCF and Houston, both in gigantic media markets. Cincinnati, not bad, though it's over, not obviously Ohio State's not in Cincinnati, but since he's clearly and distinctly the number two program in the state by a large margin. Uh, BYU is a special case in a lot of respects. Uh, church affiliation, and there are BYU fans everywhere. I can drive downtown Orlando and once a week, I could see a BYU flag or a BYU sticker or something of that wow. nature. But but the wow. Big 12 is in pretty good shape right now. The ACC we discussed already. Um, that they are. I mean, the, the idea that half the league is irked, uh, to put it mildly, is a sign of their long-term viability. And the and the Pac-12 has been um, negotiating its new TV deal for about six months now or seven months now, because the Big 12 deal came about in October, and here we are in May, and the Big, the Pac-12 doesn't have one, and the thought was it would quickly have one after the Big 12 finished. Um, it's obvious that the Pac-12 has not 
getting the financial figures it wanted, and now you're hearing talk, again, about Oregon and Washington wanting more money than anybody else in the league. Now, Oregon and Washington are fine um, long-term. A lot of the schools in the ACC are fine long-term. But if, if I'm the AD at Oregon State or Washington State or Wake Forest or Boston College, um, I'm extremely worried what the landscape's going to look like in 20 years. Um, I yeah. might not yeah. be a part of the higher, the highest tier anymore. And the question is, is, is it going to become even more stratified? And I think that's, the, that's what's going to happen. There's a, this year there will be 123, uh, I'm sorry, 133 FBS schools because Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State are moving up. But in no real world are Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State in the same realm as Alabama. So um, that's where the further stratification is going to come, I think, within 20 years. Again, I think the Oregon and Washington are fine and probably Stanford. And and, and I think most of the the Pac-12 is fine to an extent. Um, the ACC has a lot of question marks, and frankly, I think the Big 12 does as well. I mean, Iowa, is Iowa State going to be a higher-tier athletic school? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and that's, again, we're about, I, I still think we're 20, 25 years away. But long-term viability for the leagues as a whole, I would argue, is questionable. For the schools themselves in those leagues, I think it's, they're fine. But it, there is going to be a further stratification, and that's going to be the interesting thing to watch. Because, again, I talked earlier about the, SC, the, the, the big dogs in the SEC and the big dogs in the Big Ten. Do you want to continue laying with the small dogs? I don't think they're going to want to. So I'm thinking yeah. Mississippi State, Mississippi, Vandy, even South Carolina, maybe Missouri. What's the, what, you know, what 25 years from now, what are, the, what are their athletic programs going to look like? And right. if I, I wish I knew because I could probably make some money by betting something. <laughs> but it, yeah. that's going to be a very interesting thing to follow. It, and it already is because, again, you, we talked about the – ACC media rights deal is causing a lot of consternation. The Pac-12 doesn't have a new one. So we're already seeing the ripple effects, and I don't think we're going to see the full effects for, again, two decades, but a lot of the smaller trimmers are happening. And, and you know, you mentioned BYU, Big 12. They seem like they would be perfect in the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 has nothing to offer. So Plus who, the Pac-12, who fills the, who fills the uh, void of UCLA you know, and BYU, USC? BYU, because they are the church affiliation, is an interesting case. They cannot play athletic events on Sundays, which means that BYU baseball, every single three-game series they're going to play is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, That's problematic. Um, Softball as well. Um, So, And the the academic fit in the Pac-12 was not good at all. It's better in the Big 12, which I think <laughs> says a lot about the Big 12 academics. Um, so, um, yeah, there's so many fascinating offshoots of all this. Um, again, we are, we, are here, we are seeing the smaller ripples already, but, yeah, I don't think the full impact is going to be felt for right. about two decades. 
I still say one one of these days, maybe before after my time, we're going to do away with all these conferences. It's going to be one big sixty yes, team that's, field, that, that's the and there's going to be a commission. It I've said that for the decades. One hundred and thirty three, or whatever the number is at that time, there's going to be an earthquake. To use a bad analogy, but there's going to be a splitting off, and the no I think the Boston colleges and Washington State and Oregon State of the world are not going to be considered on the same tier as the Washingtons, Oregon, that's right. that's LSU, right. no all think, that kind of stuff. I think that's, I think that's inevitable. Before yeah. our time, when's the NCAA basketball tournament going to expand? Because you know they will. There's too much money to be I think it'll only be, be a four-team expansion um, and after the current TV deal um, is okay. finished. I, 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 I was at On3 last, and um, – one of the writers there, Eric Prisbol, extremely good dude, huge hoops guy. Um, he did a story. You know, there's a there's like like I guess Leonard Hamilton once again said there needs to be at least 128 teams in the tournament. Well, Eric talked to a it was more than 20 stakeholders in basketball, and a lot of them didn't want to be quoted on the record as saying this is a stupid idea to expand uh-huh. um, because they didn't want to alienate people. But the, the right. thought is also that it's not necessarily a given that the TV money would also double. It would not. Um, And do you really want, basically, this year I think there would have been 12 Big Ten teams in. There would have been probably 10 SEC teams. In other words, do you want to see a team that went 5-11 and in its league and 16-16 and overall given a chance to play for national title? Now, in some respects, they already are because they can win their conference tournament. And I think right. the idea that just increasing the size of the field just increases by a large amount the number of mediocre teams in the field. Because if you think the big money schools are going to go, oh, yeah, there's, you, know, you could have four teams from the Colonial win, and that ain't never going to happen. It would be, no, one team from the Colonial is fine. The extra four teams will come from the SEC or Big Ten, that kind of thing. That's right. I do think there will be four more teams added, so there will be another day of playing games, and they'll all be like 12 and 13 seeds, but they'll all be either extremely mediocre Power 5 teams or maybe there might be a – you know, a team that went 26 and five in the Missouri Valley, but then lost its conference tournament final and has a net rating of 70. Maybe they get in in the extra playing game, but I don't see any huge number of I don't see a huge number of teams being added to the NCAA tournament. I think they I mean, know that, what they have. time there were only 32 teams involved when really I played. You know, at the beginning, there were 32 teams involved. When I played, they had 48. 48, And, yep. man, it was, it was hard to get in that darn thing. Um, so I, I respect and appreciate what we did at LSU to get into that tournament. But then, of course, it went to 64. And so as it got bigger, it did get better, but you can't oversaturate, right? And that's, I think that's the issue about the TV money as well. Because, you know, our fans going to want to tune in to watch a Rutgers team that finished 10th in the Big Ten play a Mississippi State team that finished 10th in the SEC in a playing game. Uh, I love college hoops, not as much as you, but I still like college basketball better than college football. And I'd be like, oh, come on. Really? I don't really want to see two mediocre power conference teams. But I think that adding four teams would appease a – segment of the people calling for 
uh, a larger tournament. But uh, you know, plus if you add, you know, if you add thirty-two more teams, when do you play this thing? You add an extra week. So yeah. part of the allure to me, um, it's a three-week event, and you can it, it's fantastic. And I, like you said, yeah. watering it down would be what I was worried about. Would be worried about. I'm with you. Mike Hugan with us. Um, let's get get a prediction. Let's go back to the very beginning when we started this thing. Which is the next um, conference to um, add on and get even bigger? Who do you think it's going to be? Interesting. I think the Big 12 would be the conference looking to add next. I, I know they've added the new four teams. I still, though, you look at the take, – take Oklahoma and Texas out of the Big 12, um, which they'll be after this season. It'll be a 14-team league this fall. Um, and, okay, Oklahoma and Texas are in it. Take them away. Who's your, who's your bellwether program? TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. So that that one to me would be the league I think wants to add teams more than any others. I'm not sure they can get the caliber of teams they would want, but I still think the Big 12 is the league that's most that that is going to be the most active in seeking out new members. You mentioned the ACC with the four schools: Florida State, Miami, Clemson, North Carolina. Um, if you went behind their doors and said, okay, Florida State, where would you really like to be? They'd like to be in the SEC, wouldn't they? Yes. Clemson, where would they want SEC, to be? Big Ten? SEC, Miami SEC, North Carolina, I think they would say Big Ten. Um, and, I, and I still think people – I don't think North Carolina is given enough um, – credit by the media for the power they wield. I mean, yes, that state has, I think it's seven Division I football programs, including four in the ACC, but let's get serious. Look at North Carolina. North Carolina, the UNC rules that state. There's an enormous amount of wealth associated with UNC. It's one of the best state schools in the country. Um, it has a phenomenal overall athletic program, and I, you know, football. Yep. Take football out of the mix. Lacrosse. Which, you can't do that, but it's strong, and it's got a great AD in Bubba Cunningham. So I think North Carolina had, would have a ton of a, North Carolina would have a ton, ton of appeal to the SEC because if you get North Carolina in the SEC, you own that state now as well. Yeah. Um, Clemson, I think South Carolina would be upset, but big deal. Florida State, Miami, I don't think the SEC would want three as three teams in the state of Florida. I think Miami would be the odd school out. Um, okay. For all of its puffing of its chest, um, it's it's got a very small outside the city of Miami. Nobody cares about Miami. Let's get serious right. here. They have a lot so- of bandwagon fans. Big deal. Um, academically, it's it's a solid school. It's got, got probably the, got the best marine biology program in the country. Phenomenal music school, great medical school. Law school is not bad, um, but it's it's also a private school. I'm, I, I truly don't I mean, think the SEC really cares about adding private no. schools. Uh, let's, let's put it this: if if the SEC could send Missouri away and bring in North Carolina, it would take them one second to make that decision. Yeah. Of the four, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, Miami. All right, you, you sold me on North Carolina. 
what's more appealing to the SEC, Florida State or Clemson? That's a phenomenal. I think Florida State, just because the state of Florida, um, if you have Florida and Florida State, um, that's a lot of TV sets that would be watching SEC games on a weekly okay. basis. I'm with There's you. There's a lot I of agree. Florida State fans, a ton of Florida fans. Um, Clemson, I, I, that's, that's a tough decision. I still think FSU because of the population base in Florida. Rick Huguenin, you're the best. We're out of time, my friend. We always look forward to it. We'll see you next week, man. Thank you so much. See you. You're the best. Mike Huguenin, kind enough to join us. Back to wrap it all up after this timeout. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app. It's now your one-stop shop for all things the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Download the free mobile app today from your Apple or Android device. Just search the game Southwest Louisiana. No matter where you are, you can listen to the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, time to wrap things up. Special thanks to our guest, Koki Riley, talking LSU baseball. Alex Myers with the PGA Golf Championship. Christian Clark, the Pels, and the NBA. Mike Huguenin, all things college athletics. It's today, uh, May 17th, is your birthday. Happy birthday from all of us to all of you. Um, Victor Wembayama, the Frenchman, going to, to San Antonio. Well, the other Frenchman, Tony Parker of the Spurs, is 41 years old. Sugar Ray Leonard. What a boxer, 67, and the queen of LSU, the biggest name on campus, NCAA championship head coach Kim Mulkey is 61 years young today and going strong. Happy birthday, Coach Kim. Hope you have a great one. James Mesh, thank you. Thanks to all of you for listening in, whatever form or fashion that you do. Thanks to our partners. You make it possible every day come on back tomorrow same time two to four same great stations 1037 lafayette 1041 lake charles until next time where we preview the preakness um this is jordy helpberg stay thirsty my friends stay healthy let's be kind to one another and be happy up next crunch time with miguez and mesh we'll talk to you and see you tomorrow so long everybody